Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Josh Wall. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Fifth. And if you're new, we're excited to have you with us. If you are a longtime member, we're still excited to have you with us. Um, And uh, we're in the midst of this series throughout the summer that we're calling Stories Old and New. And so we are looking at some old stories that show up particularly out of the Jesus Storybook Bible because our kids are with us in worship. So we're finding ways that we can all engage and deal with what happens in the Bible. And it helps us get a new perspective, for some of us at least, a new or a different perspective on stories that we've heard if you grew up in the church time and time and time again. So we're hearing some old stories and we're hearing some new stories like what Lori shared this morning because we want to be a place that shares stories about God's faithfulness and what God has done and that God is continuing to move and evolve and unfold his plan for us in life. So with all of that being said, I invite Megan Ford as she is going to read our scripture this morning. So this story is called The Son of Laughter. And it is based on Genesis chapters 12 through 21 um, about God's special promise to Abraham. Years passed, and things didn't get any better. People were still just as cruel and mean to one another. They still got sick and died. God's world was still full of tears was never meant to be like this. But God was getting ready to do something about it. He was going to make all the wrong things right. And he was going to do it through a family. Abraham, God said, how many stars are there? God was about to tell his friend a wonderful secret. Well, let me see. Abraham rolled up his sleeves. But have you ever tried counting stars? Then you know how hard it is. 993, 994, 997. Oh, 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 no, wait. One, two. Of course, he kept losing count. Too many, he said. Guess what? God laughed. I will give you so many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, you won't be able to count them either. Well, Abraham couldn't help but giggle at such a wonderful idea, but he stopped himself. How could he have a family? Don't be silly. He didn't have any children, let alone grandchildren. He wiped away a tear. Anyway, it was far too late for him to start having babies at his age. He was 99 years old. What could God mean? Abraham, God said, believe me. And then God told Abraham his secret rescue plan. Abraham, I will make your family very big, God promised, until one day, Your family will come to number more than even all the stars in the sky. Abraham looked up at the dark night sky, thick with stars. You will be my special family, my people. And through you, everyone on earth will be blessed. 
It was an incredible promise. God was going to rescue the world through Abraham's family. One of his great, great, great grandchildren would be the child, the promised one, the rescuer. But it's too wonderful, Abraham said. How can it be true? Is anything too good to be true, God said? Is anything too wonderful for me? So Abraham trusted what God said more than what his eyes could see. And he believed. Now, when Abraham's wife, Sarah, heard God's promise, she just laughed to herself. But it wasn't a happy laugh. It had tears in it. She'd always wanted a baby. Could her dream come true? Could she really have a baby when she was 90 years old? No, of course not. Don't be silly. It was far too late. Sarah didn't believe God could do what he promised. She had forgotten that when God says something, it's as good as done. Of course, it was as easy for God to give her a baby as it was for him to make all the stars in the sky. Sure enough, nine months later, Just as God had promised, Sarah gave birth to a baby boy. They named him Isaac, which means son of laughter. And Sarah laughed. But this time, it was a glorious, happy laugh. Her dream had come true. God would do as he promised. He would always look after Abraham's family, his special people. And one day, God would send another baby. A baby promised to a girl who didn't even have a husband. But this baby would bring laughter to the whole world. This baby would be everyone's dream come true. One of the most formative moments of my life happened around a campfire. I grew up in northern Michigan, a small town called Reed City, about an hour and change to the north. Uh, I spent a lot of time outdoors. I spent a lot of time around campfires. The campfire itself wasn't new, but this moment occurred. Uh, It was the summer of 2000, and uh, there was a campfire where everything changed for me. What happened was, is uh, I was working at a camp, a place called Spring Hill, where I had grown up. It was nearby to me. And I had spent a long time there, and I was on staff and was working with a group of uh, middle school boys and, and basically had an opportunity where I got to share the gospel. I got to say that there, there's a God who made the world, and we are sinful and broken, and we don't have to look that far to see our own brokenness, and that God still loves us and comes after us. And I invited the kids who were there that evening, and I said, if any of you want to stick around and want to stay and hear more about that, or want to hear and be restored in a relationship with God, or if you want to make anything right, stick around with this campfire after we're done tonight, and we'll, and we'll talk. And as the fire died down, and the darkness started to encroach, we ended the night, and kids stayed. And I remember talking with 
12 and 13 year old kids and talking with a 14 year old boy who wept and cried and talked about his struggles back home and that he wanted there to be a God who treated him like the good father that he did not have. And we prayed. And I was broken. At that moment, I crossed a Rubicon that I was never going back. Something in me had shifted and changed. It had clicked into place. And in that moment, I knew for me that life was never going to be exactly the same as it was before. I'm willing to bet that I'm not the only one who's had that kind of experience in life. Now, I'm, I am willing to bet that most of them haven't happened around a campfire or that they haven't happened in that kind of context or in that kind of way. But I'm willing to bet that if you are of a certain age that there has been encounters and moments in life when things suddenly clicked and they made sense in ways that you never understood before. That, that maybe it was at work and you were working with a, a tool or a machine or you were making something. I have a friend who's a welder and a machinist and he talks about the moment, the first moment he made something and it came out exactly as it was supposed to and he looked back and he was kind of both surprised and taken back like, oh man, I really did it. And he was so excited, he talked about it for weeks that he had made the thing that he was supposed to. Right? Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you've spent time as a teacher and maybe you saw a kid suddenly get a concept or an idea. Maybe uh, it was somewhere in school or in college or in grad school and there was a, a problem that was so exciting and invigorating that you couldn't not think about it. Maybe it's in a problem you solved in work or in a relationship or a dynamic. Maybe it's when the, the possibility of a child was held for the first time in your arms and you said to yourself, everything is different now. Everything has shifted. One of the great truths uh, that we assert as Christians is we believe that there is a God and that we are his children and function as his children and he calls us to participate in his work here in the world. We believe that there is a purpose and a plan for the things that we do. Uh, And honestly, frankly, one of the great joys of life is trying to figure out what that calling and plan is. It can be exhausting sometimes. It can be infuriating sometimes when we feel like we struggle. And yet when we find those moments when everything clicks, it is the most life-giving experience. What we're talking about today is really this notion of calling and what that looks like. And specifically looking through the story in the life of Abraham, who had this very distinct understanding and set of calls that emerge, right? Abraham himself is a bit of a, bit of a weird guy in the fact that there's lots that we don't know. Abraham shows up in the, in the book of Genesis in chapter 12, and, and God speaks to Abraham. And that's the first time he shows up, and God tells him to go, and he goes, right? It says... In chapter 12, it says, suddenly out of the blue, the Lord said to Abram, which is Abraham's name, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord told him. Now, what's funny about this is that he just kind of shows up in the Bible. There's no, uh, we know a little bit about his dad and the fact that his dad has a name, but there isn't a lot of context. There isn't a lot of background. We do have stuff that shows up elsewhere throughout uh, 
history and tradition, the Jewish scriptures in particular, and the Jewish history and tradition in particular, has more to say about Abraham. And there's a, a famous story that's told in yeshivas or Hebrew schools about him that goes something like this, that Abraham uh, grew up, Abraham's father, Terah, sold idols, right? Because that was the thing that you did back in the day. If you were sick or you were concerned or you're worried about something, you would go to the idol shop and you would buy an idol for that respective God that would help you with your problem. You would stick it wherever you were supposed to and that was supposed to make you better, right? So that handled everything from the weather to medicine. So Terah, Abraham's father, was an idol salesman and had a shop in, in the town. Um, and so one day when Abraham is a kid, right, like eight years old, uh, Terah has to pop out. So he tells Abraham, hey, buddy, you're in charge. Don't let anything go wrong. Terah steps out the door. Abraham, without missing a beat, goes out back, goes back to the house, which is nearby, grabs an axe, walks back into the shop, destroys every idol that's in the shop, except for the biggest one. And then he sticks the axe in that idol's hand. So dad comes home. Dad is obviously not thrilled because son has just destroyed his entire inventory. Uh, so he's not sure how he's going to make money and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he turns to Abraham, justifiably fairly annoyed. And he says, hey, what did you do? And Abraham denies it. And he's like, well, I, you know, it wasn't really me. Uh, and anyway, if they cannot save themselves, why would you expect them to save you? Abraham was this kid, this person that we have this notion that there's this understanding within him that there is this draw towards God or towards monotheism or towards this something other than the religion in which he grew up with. And by the time Abraham shows up on the scene, he is well into the back nine of life. He's 75 years old. He is successful. He is wealthy. It talks elsewhere about land and property and sheep and animals and people that follow him around. Abraham had employees and servants and he had the whole nine yards. He was a wealthy, well-to-do man. And when God shows up, he says, okay, I will go. And if you try to live into his shoes a bit, you see the picture of a man who was successful in all the ways that life said he should be. That he was rich, that he had the things he needed to, he was a good husband or a good son. And, and yet there was still this gnawing understanding that things weren't quite the way they were supposed to be. So he has this encounter with God, he has this encounter beyond himself where God says go and he just turns and he goes. Abraham gets called out of nowhere. Abraham is kind of ready to go somewhere, but he doesn't know where. And then God shows up and calls him into something else. So let's take a moment and talk about calling and what a calling is and what a calling is not. We often presume, and we talk about in Christian circles at least, we presume that calling is almost this, uh, this it, it's, we describe it often as this mystical experience, right? Or it's this thing that occurs often on remote mountaintops or out on a beach or I was in the woods for four weeks eating nothing but whatever I could find and a lot of berries and I felt this call towards something. But that seems to actually miss the point of what happens and what we see show up in the scriptures, right? In the scriptures, often callings happen like this with people that are living their life, doing things, going about it, whether it's Abraham or Moses Right? And then there's this moment where God suddenly breaks through and they perceive things differently. 
It's when they are involved in the day-to-day action and interaction of life. It's when the grist of life rubs up against them that they start to see and understand this new sense of call and calling. Calling is really the things that make your heart beat and make your heart break in the world around you. Calling is found in those things that you get excited about, that are palpable, and that you just feel and you think about, and you tell your friends and your spouse and the stranger on the street, hey, this just happened, and this was kind of amazing. You encounter something that gets you so excited that you can't not talk about it. Or calling comes out of this place of pain and hurt and frustration where you meet people on the street and you can't think about this, that, or the other thing and you can't help but feel impassioned and to care and to talk and to ponder. And again, you tell everybody that you know. Calling is something that emerges from our day-to-day life and it's the things that make our heart beat with excitement or break with pain and sorrow. And if you've ever seen someone kind of discover their calling, It's truly a magical thing. I've watched uh, women who have gone, uh, mothers who have gone through multiple miscarriages, who have lost babies and children, and these deep points of hurt and pain in their lives. And then they meet someone else who has just gone through it. And you can watch their eyes light up. And you can watch them surround them like a mother hen over her chicks. You can watch them envelop this woman who is hurting as you watch them feel the sense of call. It's, it's kind of an amazing thing to watch someone discover their sense of calling and purpose because it's, it's universal and it's built into the human experience and what it means for us as Christians. There's lots of examples I could give about people discovering calling, Right? I mean, you can pick any entrepreneur or startup, anyone who started a nonprofit. Those all come out in my understanding and belief out of a sense of calling and purpose, right? Anyone who has started something from scratch is willing to suffer for that something to try to make it work. It's because there is a deeper sense of purpose that you sense and you feel. My favorite example, though, is probably uh, the life of a guy named Bob Goff. You may or may not have heard of Bob. He uh, wrote a book a couple years ago called Love Does. He wrote a new book recently called Everybody Always. Bob uh, is hard to describe. I've heard Bob speak a couple of times. Bob is effusive. He cannot smile anymore. He could not get more excited. No, that man should never get coffee ever. He is the most energetic, personable, engaging man. And while he doesn't use this language, his calling is to let people know that they are loved and that God loves them. And he is going to do his darndest to show you that God loves you. So he does these ridiculous, crazy, silly things throughout his life. Bob was trained as a lawyer. He worked as a lawyer. He somehow got involved in social justice work within Africa to defend children. But Bob's real calling is to help people understand that they are loved and loved by God. So Bob does things like someone wants to propose and these are things that he shows up in his book are basically a catalog of the dumb things that Bob has done to show people that God loves them. And so he creates entire teams of people that help pull off wedding proposals. Bob wants his neighbors to understand that they are loved and loved by him and loved by God. So then Bob goes like, you know what we should do? We should have a parade. Let's have a parade. We'll have a parade for our block. We can do that, right? 
And so then Bob goes above and beyond. So then Bob orders a whole bunch of helium balloons and tanks, and he fills up thousands of balloons to walk down their parade of their cul-de-sac, which consists of 20 houses. And the first time it was him and his family, each holding dozens and dozens of balloons to hand out to the six neighbors out on the street that thought he was nuts when he did this on New Year's Day. And now Bob continues to do it. And there's hundreds of people that come to throw a parade for this one block. Bob's call is to let people know that God loves them. Bob does it enough that he wrote his first book. And at the end of that, in the postscript, Bob includes his actual phone number that you can call him. And it's his actual number. And he will talk to you because he wants you to know that God loves you. And so do people. This is Bob Goff, and this is why it's kind of nuts. But this is what seeing a sense of calling and purpose look like. When Abraham hears from God and that God speaks down and steps down into his place, while he does not know what's going on, he knows that something will be different and this is the right place and suddenly everything clicks. And so fast forward a couple of years and Abraham travels around, he gets into trouble, he runs into issues with, he pretends his wife is his sister, that doesn't go so well. He does a whole bunch of, uh, he makes some poor decisions, let's put it that way. And then uh, a little bit later in Genesis chapter 15, this happens. And after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, and this, this is important, I think, that often when we read the scriptures and we read the Bible, we read it in this solemn tone, right? We think that everyone is kind of reverent. We think that everyone is respectful and sometimes they are, but sometimes they're frustrated or angry or upset or just full on mad or disappointed. And I think Abraham is both mad, scared and disappointed at this moment because he says, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then he takes him out and has him look at the stars and that story that Megan read. There's a funny thing about callings and the fact that even when you discover what yours is or what one of yours is, it's not as if there's this clear sense of call that continues indefinitely. Whenever we're following into new territory, there's moments of confusion doubt and insecurity even when we know that we're supposed to do this thing because we had this experience that we cannot deny there's the moments when you go am I really supposed to do this thing am I really supposed to love them follow through with this go to this school go to this place I felt like you told me really clear that I needed to go here and I don't really want to be here right now I don't really want to be with them. I don't really want to have my kid. Anytime we are following God's call into new territory, there are moments of insecurity, anxiety, and confusion. And that's okay. Because what happens after that is God says, you're going to be okay. And Abraham goes, really? Really? It's not feeling okay right now. And God steps in and does the, the covenant between the pieces, as it's sometimes called, and takes, 
tells Abraham to take some animals, split them down the middle, step between them, and God makes a promise and a vision where he goes forward and back to say that I will always be with you and I will always be around you. When we are called to new places, there is confusion, there is hardship, there's a sense of anxiety, and there is God's faithfulness. And even while we do not always know what the future holds, and even while we are concerned about the state of our family, or our career, or our reputation, there's a God who says he will always be with us and will never leave nor forsake us. So let's end and talk about some, some final brass tacks about calling and what that means and what we get out of Abraham. First, I think it's important for us to just acknowledge for the fact that we have some general callings that exist within us as a church, things that we have historically said we feel like we are about. And at the same time, much more, we have individual callings that get laid on each individual person. And that those callings are not the same. And sometimes they exist with intention of one another. We are called to be ambassadors. If we are sons and daughters of the king, then we are his emissaries and ambassadors to the world. And we are called to different places, different friendships, relationships, neighborhoods, you name it. And those callings are not always going to agree. Collectively within the church, we are healthier and we are stronger and much more vibrant in the fact that uh, white Episcopalians and black Baptists care about different things and still represent the body of Christ. Right? That Southern Baptists and Evangelicals and Pentecostals represent different callings and different purposes. And that diversity, that kingdom work for we are all children of God, that is a good thing. And here at Fifth, just to name a reality in the room, we are a diverse place. We are diverse in class and creed and thought. We have folks in politics. We have folks all the way on the right and we have folks all the way on the left. And I'll have conversations with people, often within days of each other, from the right and from the left, saying, I feel alone and that I'm the only one who thinks like me here and there isn't a place for me here. Friends, there is a place for you here because your calling is to a place, but we are find our identity as brothers and sisters in Christ. They are not based on, on what we believe or how we vote, but based on an identity that is rooted in that there is a God who loves us as a father and redeems us as children and says the words over of us that this is my son and my daughter whom I love and them I'm well pleased. Our callings pull us out into new territories, into new directions, and we have to do those gracefully and then we still have to go. And the church, I think we also need to talk about briefly. And that is the fact that we need to talk about what we do in this place. God calls all of us individually to something. God calls the church to help equip the saints for ministry to help us pursue our individual callings and purposes and passions. We do things like IHN because uh, historically we have said we care about families that are homeless and families in transition, and we want to stand behind that. 
we have supported kids programs because we've said kids and families matter and we want to influence people's lives when they're vulnerable, when they need help and support. We want to help families that often feel overwhelmed and anxious. And at the same time, the work of the church is to collectively help us live and empower into one another's lives. I think I want to end with this. And this is not something we often do, right? Our tradition tends to be one where, where the sermon functions as a monologue, where, where someone like me in my role stands up and says a lot of pretty flowery words or is deeply compelling, and that has a place and a purpose. At the same time, the fundamental goal of this is that we're disciples, that we become more like Jesus, that we become people who did what Jesus did, said what Jesus said, that we were for the things that he was for, that we were for the outsider, the lonely, the oppressed, that we uh, shared stories, that we gave away our items, that we cared for those who needed help, that we pursued our calling and wherever that goes. And so what I want to do is I actually want to invite you uh, we ha- to, to do a response. That's what we're going to do. Um, if you have a worship guide, I invite you to pull it out. There are supposed to be notes and outlines, but we actually had a technical issue today, which is also why we don't have any slides. Um, but uh, I want to have you do two things. I want you to write a number one and a number two, if you have a pen or steal a pen. Or a pencil. Or a crayon. Got a crayon? Use a crayon. And I'm actually going to give a minute to respond. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to explain what we're going to do, and then we're going to do it, okay? So what I want us to do is I believe that we are all called to something. Some of you know what you are called to. Some of you don't. That's all okay. I want you to put down and write down your best guess. Don't do it yet. I want you to write down what is it that you think you feel called to. It's probably one or two things. And then after that, I want you to write down if you are called to those one or two things, what is something you can do this week to pursue that? Because it's not head knowledge, right? It's not that we know that there's something or Abraham was called and therefore I am. This should be practical. This should interact with us on a daily basis. I don't want you to do it now. I want to pray. And we'll have a moment of silence and I want you to try to listen and then I want you to write down. Does that make sense to everybody? I saw a head nod, so I'll take that as a yes. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray you speak to us. For those of us that know what we are called, help us to figure out what we do. For those of us that don't know what we are called, help us to hear from you. God, we give a time of silence and to hear your voice in this place.
God, as we write and as we think and as we listen, we pray you make your calling to us known to the future, to opportunities, to neighbors or family. Speak to us, O Lord. Give us grace and mercy for the journey. I invite you to take a minute and just write something down. No one's holding you to this. There's no guilt. If you don't want to do it, that's totally fine too. But as best you're able and as best as you can sense where God is leading and God is calling, what is that? And if that's true, what do you do about it this week?